welcome back to Restoral Prep Podcasts. Me, your host, Jack Cole. So today, I'm joined by Walter Helmer, who's one of the co-founders of Rewilding Europe. So, Walter, welcome. Thank you welcome. for joining us. Yeah. yeah, so just uh, to dive straight in. So, you've been described as an instigator um, of modern ecology. So, tell us how the approaches you have innovated differ from those previously and what different outcomes they have achieved. Okay, well, it's a great question to start. Well, so of course, it's not it's not only about me. It's uh, I've worked all my life in small, uh, dedicated teams who are fully motivated to uh, to make a better place of our world for both the uh, people and, and nature. And that was the case in, uh, in Arc Nature in the Netherlands, but also in Rewilding Europe, Rewilding America now. Um, but personally, I have a quite uh, optimistic character, to be honest, and. When I finished my study in animal ecology, well, actually, optimism was not the kind of mindset I found back in conservation world. Actually, well, I think you call them trusts in the UK. Well, what I found in conservation was a lot of distrust, actually. Distrust uh, towards uh, society, that, uh, where you, uh, we had the idea that society was always um, regarding economies more important than nature and uh, well, there was a lot of distrust against people that should be kept away from nature reserves. And actually, there was also a lot of distrust against nature itself. It, uh, it had to be mowed and pruned and managed. And that um, was not quite actually what I was looking for when I finished my study. I, and, I, and with some friends of me, we thought maybe we could add some value uh, and improve the, the, uh, the results for conservation if we also build in some trust trust in nature to shape our landscapes as nature has quite a track record in that, maybe some few billion years. Um, trust more people and we, we thought, well, if people, uh, if we invite people actually to, 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 to our new areas, they probably will also appreciate nature more than they, when they were left out. Uh, and we were quite optimistic about society. We trust society to in the long term, make those choices that are good for society. And very often, nature is involved in those uh, kind of solutions, as we as we'll tell you later. So that was um, uh, yeah, the big change on uh, uh, we tried to actually add to the existing conservation. And the results were quite remarkable, actually. We, we created quite uh, spectacular landscapes in which ecosystems, uh, as I said, shaped landscapes, uh, recovery of a lot of species. We saw really um, um, people using these landscapes um, as for recreation, but also start building up all kinds of enterprises around these uh, attractive areas. And we saw more and more socioeconomic sectors actually benefit from nature as part of their solution of their problems. And I will, yeah, I'll tell more about that later. Yeah. Great, good start. Um, so something, so what has also set you apart has been your readiness to work with par- partners outside of conservation um, itself. So what advantages has this brought your work that other practitioners could learn from? Okay, yeah. But first, it's good to realize that changing the world doesn't start with convincing your friends. So we are always looking where we can find partners, even former enemies, so to say, 
uh, and look how we can um, be of help to solve their problems and the other way around. And how, uh, and so we, we start to approach all kinds of socioeconomic sectors where we thought nature could be uh, a solution for, for their problems, actually. And we first we approached the, the, the water managers in the Netherlands first, um, because we thought we could solve their problem with flood management, with the, uh, reducing flood risks. So the default solution is uh, raising dikes, and we thought maybe it's better to lower the floodplains uh, instead, and um, and um, and actually involve clay mining companies in this case to do the to do the job because clay is a renewable source in the Netherlands. Uh, we live in a delta. Every flood brings clay. We can use that for our buildings, and by taking concentrating the clay mining in the floodplains, we we lower them, create space for rivers. And in the end, create also tens of thousands of hectares of new rewilded areas along the rivers. And that um, uh, actually was, uh, um, yeah, uh, say uh, we had some serious floods in, the, in 1993, 1995. We had to evacuate uh, 200,000 people. Uh, we, have to, we had billions of damage. And that was the moment that actually our uh, uh, government made this approach. We call that at that time living rivers uh, and actually a national policy. So from that moment on, um, tens of thousands of hectares of floodplains are rewilded actually by uh, our water managers. Well, in a similar way, we approached uh, drinkwater companies to um, to protect their the, the area, the source areas for their drinking water extraction by rewilding them actually, and by doing that, reducing their cost of cleaning the water. Uh, and we have. Uh, a dozen of those areas in the Netherlands uh, where the, this works. Um, but we also we showed with some climate buffer projects that we could help agricultural areas with um, storing water in times of heavy rainfall and uh, a supply of water actually in, in periods of droughts from these uh, natural climate buffers, as we call them. In the, um, well, and as I said, we Actually, we are at the moment exploring the relationship between nature and healthcare, where uh, it looks like nature could really reduce the cost of healthcare if people are better connected to their green environment around their villages uh, in the cities. And that uh, actually, again, nature could be part of the solution for that uh, socioeconomic issue. And on the on a European level, I think we yeah, what we are doing at the moment, especially in the Mediterranean areas, we can at the moment we are trying to show that uh, natural grazing, uh, especially, could reduce the risk of large wildfires, which is really a, a problem at the moment. And by creating grazed mosaics, landscapes are less vulnerable for large-scale fires than closed canopy forest or closed shrublands, which are, are often the results of land abandonment in, in the south. So those are. Um, examples uh, where we show that nature could be an ally for, for all kind of uh, partners in society. And this brought us a lot. And I think first respect from many sectors in society that we are open-minded and, and, and looking to their problems and thinking with them for long-term, very often more cheap solutions than they are used to. Often people think in technical chemical solutions that work on the short term but are very expensive in the long term. We come with more sustainable solutions where nature plays a role. 
I think we um, um, we get yeah we get good response from from local uh, people because uh, apart from um, offering them new areas where they can walk and bike, uh, we also actually we create jobs in these areas, um, um, new bed and breakfast right? uh, uh, jobs in, in tourism, recreation, ferries that start. Um, uh, all kind of, uh, but also, uh, yeah, guiding to tours, that, that, those kind of stuff. So by offering also not only natural areas, but also uh, jobs and supporting local economies, we, we get a lot of support from that side. Um, and of course, uh, and of course, for, for, as an ecologist, uh, very important that we create really, um, uh, yeah, spectacular natural areas that uh, because ecological processes manage our landscape, are uh, much more sustainable in a way, less depending on our management and, and less costly, therefore, to uh, to manage on a, on a large scale. So all in all, also, we, um, we make conservation uh, more affordable in a way that we lower the costs by giving natural processes more the lead and increase income um, for local people, but also for uh, yeah, other sectors in, in society. So a better balance. Yeah, absolutely. So just following on from that a little bit more. So how, what oh, are sorry. some of the ways that, oh, go ahead, please. I just yeah. <laughs> almost forgot by operating like this, we of course also mobilize a lot of more money for conservation right. Right. than we did in the past. So if we, um, so we create now new net natural areas, not using conservation money, but using money from water management, from healthcare, from drink water companies, from yeah. So, uh, right. So I was going to stuff. ask um, how can welding, not specific welding, but a lot of conservation and welding projects be made more investable going forward? And you would say that is really bringing in these these other groups and generating a lot more money. Um, yeah, and show the yeah, and show the business case uh, of yeah. of rewilding and how it could contribute to uh, the interests of others. Mm. Um, make it attractive uh, for for investors because of their own interest in a specific sector, or from people who have to offset their carbon footprint. They can, of course, invest in nature areas because we store a lot of carbon in our areas yeah. without planting any single tree. It's just so we we save a lot of costs by letting nature do the job, but we store billions and billions of tons of carbon in our new nature areas that could be um, yeah, monetized and, and um, in, in the, on the international market. Great, okay. Um, so moving on from there, I've noticed that many uh, influential and quite effective groups such as Rewilding Europe um, often start out with just one or perhaps just a handful of, of individuals who then go on to make, you know, great gains, uh, you know, a lot of influence as rewarding Europe and yourself now have them. So what do you think this tells us a little bit about how practitioners should approach their goals in trying to make this world of change possible? Yeah, I think it's important to understand that if you develop something new, and I think rewilding is still in development. Um, um, it comes with also a lot of risks. You, you're testing 
a new bold vision, you have to test and practice. So you, you need also practical examples to show the, the, the wider audience how it looks like in reality, what, you are, what your bold thoughts are about. You have to wear and vision and practice should always um, be aligned that uh, you that your vision that you improve your vision because the results of the practice and the other way around that you improve your practice because new insights come in. And um, but that that approach at the beginning of a, a, a new project that uh, requires uh, quite an, a flexible and agile way of thinking and working, even a little bit opportunistic. I, I, would say and that will never work when you start with a too broad group of people and so you, you need pioneers to to get it started uh, like that and but that doesn't mean that you should not involve everybody around that your your ideas and projects but you should do that in a clever way so for example local people they could be uh, conservative when it comes to a change of their environment, but if you frame it in a in a, in a nice way, you you organize uh, a nice day where they help removing fences in an in an area, releasing a group of animals, um, um, and 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 end the whole day with a, a party, good food, and music. Then you have them on board very often. Uh, another politicians, for example. They never watch, will take any risk. Um, so don't put them. Oh, sorry? Who are you Politicians. Risk? They never Politicians, want to take right, any, right. any risk. <laughs> yeah, right. But they love to be part of the success. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's always, yeah. So if you open a new area, if you release a herd of animals or, or beaver or whatever, ask them to do it. It, it mm. will help you to get them on your side as well. Um, scientists. Well, if you ask them to predict the results of rewilding, you will never get started. But you need them to monitor the results of, of your work. Yes. So um, in this way, actually, you keep everybody involved without having the risk that uh, uh, things slow down. Um, and actually, you, you create the conditions to scale up in a later uh, uh, yeah, stadium of your project. So that's how you... Um, yeah, why you need to be pioneers at the beginning, but from also from the beginning have to think about how to involve important stakeholders uh, in your work. So when you think back over your extensive career, what are some of the events that stand out most to you? And also, when we were sat on the bus in the Netherlands, you were telling me about, um, forgive me if I've got it wrong, Zandmotor? Sorry? Zandmotor. Zand Zandmotor. Tell, tell us a little bit about uh, Zandmotor, which is sand engine. Sand engine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell, yeah, tell yeah. me a little bit about that and uh, some of the wider events that you like to look back on. But, but so, shall I first explain the, the sand please. engine? Please, please. <laughs> okay, well, that's actually an idea that came up when we uh, made a plan for our national water management uh, agency, so to say, together with WWF. We, uh, we created the vision Growing with the Sea, was the, the name in the late 90s. And um, it's again, how can we let the, our delta grow with the sea? That was actually to use uh, peat uh, generation, to use uh, sediment coming from the rivers to build up our delta, but also how to um, um, protect our coast against uh, the rising sea levels. And um, 
till that time it was done every year they they pumped actually sent from the north sea to the dunes which cost a lot of money to do that um, and um, we found out that there's where the the rhine comes into the north sea there's a uh, a flow of water into the sea but comes back to the coast it's a kind of uh, yeah circular wave of river water that goes back to the coast and we thought if you not uh, bring sand every year to the coast but you in one time you bring a lot of sand on this specific spot where the water stream comes back to the coast the the sea actually will do the job and that's what we did so um at, at, uh, we um together of course with, with again with the water management and uh, uh, some scientists from uh, from uh, an institute a coastal institute we created uh, a, an amazing big heap of sand in front of the coast of the Netherlands and the last 20 years actually the sea moved it to our coast so it, it saves a lot of costs with the same result in, in the past and during that time 20 years just a nice sand um say area with seals on it and uh, yeah birds uh, very yeah just salute again uh, a way of thinking where nature mm. helps you to solve your problems brilliant pretty brilliant um and so yeah sorry back to what saying more widely what are some of the things that really stick out for you over your career okay well of course that differs a little bit uh, when yeah during time and the in, in context but I well uh, I still have very warm feelings to be honest about actually the first two and a half hectares we could rewild uh, 35 years ago right um, imagine just with friends and, and family uh, still my mother was alive helping there to removing barbed wire um, and uh, the release of three wild horses on those few hectares, filming it, presenting it to the annual conference of WWF uh, at that time. Um, and uh, and actually within a few months, uh, getting hundreds of thousands of euros to scale up our wild idea about the Dutch floodplains. That was quite a thing. Uh, somewhat later uh, in, in the neighboring area, um, our queen, uh, on her 25th anniversary of being a queen, releasing 25 horses in a new rewilding area, and that action and the the, uh, the support uh, for our approach uh, she she gave that was very impressive for me. Impressive. Um, but also on warm summer evenings when I cycle back over the bridge to my hometown Nijmegen seeing thousands of students enjoying life mm. on river beaches uh, against the new sand dunes that are formed there by, by, by our rivers in an area which was a cornfield 20 years ago uh, and now with free roaming herds of horses with beaver and all the people from the city enjoying life there yet yeah goosebumps oh, from that special yeah i can uh, feel it too. <laughs> experience um yeah, in a, in a European context, I always have to think back to the, the first release of bison in the Southern Carpathians. It was an amazing event. Can you imagine? High in the mountains, hundreds of people gathered, 
uh, with trucks coming from different parts of Europe, bringing the first bison to this remote village. Bison blessed by the local priest, people singing about the, for the comeback of the bison. Journalists from all over the world being there and um, and seeing those bison coming out of the truck. The first they did was tasting the soil. That's something I every time when we release bison, they first mm. they taste the soil. I don't know what that is, but it's interesting yeah. to see. And um, but then with those singing community um, um, in the evening, people dancing together. So. Truck, dri truck drivers with the Chinese journalists, uh, with local people with rewilders from all over Europe. That was quite impressive, but especially because it it, it symbolized for me um, also the, the pride of that village to, to be the first one to, to have this on board, but also the hope, the hope of people that these, because it's, it was a, an area with a lot of land abandonment, poor economy, and they saw this attention for their region, the comeback of the bison, the, the, the business programs we developed around that as a as part of their, their future, their new future. And it worked like that. So we created a lot of jobs in that area related to bison tourism, so to say. So that was quite impressive again. Um, and yeah, now that's completely exotic. I'm now working in, in, uh, in, in America and what for me, that's a complete new world I'm, I'm entering. Um, and especially the, um, the, the the relationship with Native Americans that we are building up there, and the the, the way they uh, uh, their relation with nature that's something completely different from what we know in the West. So it's uh, it's based on on so much experience and thousands of years of um, uh, storytelling. Yeah. And uh, one of the moments are, but also, yeah, the, the, I remember that we once entered an, an, an area uh, quite overgrazed by, by horses. And one of our team members is uh, Daryl Marcus. He's a, a great grandson of the famous Indian warrior, Crazy Horse. And he said, he excused himself. He said, I, I have to say a prayer for the for the horses in this area because they are in, living in poor conditions and I and he climbed up a Sundance hill which were and he started praying and imagine it's it's completely silent you can 30 360 degrees around nothing just silence he started praying and then suddenly far away you heard <coughs> and when he was praying 150 horses came running from more than one kilometer up to that hill to this man yes. that's uh, yeah. If you talk about moments that makes yeah makes you cry yeah. almost that those those moments yes. I've experienced there very often and yeah that well but having said that again I'm ecologist so I also <laughs> every time celebrate when uh, yeah I see examples of the the actually the amazing wildlife comeback we are experiencing in in, in Europe uh, as well so whether it's white-tailed mm -hmm. eagles or black storks or beaver or uh, wild cat or now wolves in the Netherlands uh, mm. that every that motivates me so much to to continue our work because it shows that nature is resilient mm. that um, uh, that that conservation and rewilding works that mm. we that we are doing uh, yeah and, and and that it's more and more appreciated actually by people that mm. so you yeah I think 
most of that wildlife comebacks are very well appreciated by our modern, of course, very urban society. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, and I would actually like to come back to the um, the Native Americans and, and the cowboys in just a second. But just before that, going back a little bit to um, sort of, you know, Europe and some of the work that you've got going on, looking to the future, obviously, of course, rewilding, making Europe wilder. And the, a large part of that is to work with infrastructure or infrastructure um, groups to, you know, make it more easy for isolated uh, populations to reconnect and for the health of you know biodiversity genetic diversity um and tell us a little bit about your work with dam removal europe is that the name yeah dam removal dam europe is a quite uh, 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 fast growing movement okay it's a little bit of a legacy from my time at the rewilding europe so uh, okay um so dam removal europe is set up by a coalition of uh, uh, the World Fish Migration Foundation, WWF, the, the Nature Conservancy, Rewilding Europe, but also uh, the European River Rivers Network and uh, the, the Rivers Trust in, in the UK. And um, actually, well, you can imagine that uh, removing a dam is one of the most effective ways of rewilding we can have. And, and so by taking a dam out of a river, you restore the whole sediment flow, you improve water quality, and of course you restore migration of, of uh, fish uh, up and downstream and um, um, yeah but then we have more than one million dams in, in European rivers um, of course most of them are still functional as a, a, a power uh, hydropower uh, for ir irrigation and so on but there are also hundreds of thousands obsolete dams and of course, that's lo quite low-hanging fruit, actually, to, mm. to take out and, and to, by doing that rewilding complete river systems. And, well, that's actually what uh, what we are trying to do now. There's a big fund coming from uh, the UK to uh, to subsidize uh, dam removal. And my role is quite limited, actually. I'm uh, supporting them in fundraising. And uh, so that's what I'm doing uh, a few times a year to get some funds on board of uh, this uh, new movement and actually to help them by uh, building business models around dam removal. So where we show that taking out a dam is also from an economic perspective, more makes more sense than keeping the dam because of, again, because of, uh, uh, yeah, the risk, for example, if a dam uh, breaks, uh, you can have a, a disaster downstream. So taking it out timely could save those costs of, uh, of a damage. Uh, but of, co of course, creating a new sport fishing, uh, uh, fly fishing economy mm -hmm. uh, after removal of a dam could very often out, I say, uh, uh, be, could be m much more attractive also financially than having an, a dam in the, in the river. So, uh, uh, so I cr created about 12 business models where the removal of them, them's actually is more attractive than keeping them. Sorry, I'm sorry to the timeline sort of jumping back and forth oh, a bit, but back to the no no, no it's not at all. It's, a, it's it's my questioning. Um, back to the back to the United States now with the Native Americans, um, and you mentioned their lovely story about the horses. So what's quite interesting about this, what you've been telling me, is that you've got essentially cowboys and to use the old word Indians working together, of course, who have 
somewhat checkered history. Um, can you describe a little bit about what that's like, bringing those two different groups together to work on something like uh, rewilding? Mostly, which, yeah. yeah. We like to think in, in terms of cowboys and Indians, but it's, it's a little bit more uh, uh, diverse. So there's a very interesting coalition coming up in the Americas now at the moment uh, from conservationists, um, wild horse protectors, indeed native tribes, um, but also private landowners, ranchers, and uh, communication teams from Hollywood too. And they joined forces to actually show an alternative for the actually the default model we have at the moment for federal land, which is for almost 90% just leased to uh, cattle ranchers. So uh, we think we can offer an, from um, a, a management model, rewilding, which um, offers more public uh, services on federal land than the current uh, monoculture of, of cattle ranches. And, um, and that's about uh, yeah, climate again, climate adaptation, carbon storage, wildfire prevention, biodiversity, uh, tourism. So Dakota, Dakotas, have got that right? In North and South Dakota, is that the area? Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, the the, the 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 ambition is bigger, but again, yeah. you have a vision, and you you need pilot projects. And mm. our first pilot projects are in North and South Dakota, uh, one with an Indian tribe, the Standing Rock tribe. Uh, and it's about um, a big area where we test the grazing of, of bison combined with wild horses. Uh, and in North Dakota, it's a, a, a coalition with a, a rancher's family, the Silbernagel family, um, where we show how um, natural grazing in a rotation system can also improve the quality of the crop areas. So it's, it's a, actually a, a ranch that uses free roaming horses to improve the quality of the whole uh, agricultural area as well. And both projects are, uh, help each other in uh, building up herds and technical management infrastructure and that kind of thing. And uh, by doing that, actually we show that rewilding is not to be placed in the blue or red corner of America, but it's, a, it's both for Republicans and democratic uh, people in, in a better, way of managing both private and federal land than uh, is done at, at the moment. And uh, yeah, we, we are building now uh, evidence for that in those two pilot projects and hope to scale up now to uh, to Idaho in the future. But that's uh, the next uh, podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so rewilding, especially in the UK and much of the West is very much in vogue. Um, but you've, of course, been there you know, from the beginning, and um, just like to know how you'd like to see things continue to evolve in the coming years. Are there any particular trends that you've noticed, or as rewilding is, as you mentioned, is developing in its own right? What are some of the forefront new things that are beginning to uh, materialize, or new ideas, or yeah, trends? I already mentioned the, the relationship with with healthcare. Um, oh, of course, at the end, but yeah. more. Uh, Principally, um, so it's really uh, you have to realize that we uh, we should really con should continue to ensure that that nature is part of the solution for modern socio-economic issues. That that mindset should be in conservationists, um, and that also means that you have to be, be agile uh, and um, reinvent yourself 
every time that uh, the society changes, that climate changes, that nature changes itself. So change is the, uh, uh, yeah, where, where you have to cope with, which means that um, you are never finished. The solutions you, you come up with today are not the solutions of tomorrow. So you, you can never sit back and say, okay, the, the work is done. It's um, There is no blueprint for any every new rewilding area. You have to uh, think again about the context, uh, what are the needs of the people, what, what, what socioeconomic issues are playing, what's the ecosystem on that place, and it's always different. So um, if we as rewilders keep that mindset, that agile, flexible, opportunistic mindset, and and um, offering ourselves as part of the solution of other groups as well, then yeah, we we can continue our work, can scale up our work, and uh, uh, secure actually the connection between modern society and wild nature. And finally, Walter, um, you said that you're retired. Um, it doesn't really seem that way so much to me, uh, with how busy you are and all the exciting things you're involved with. Um, where can people find you, follow your work, see what you're up to, support you? Uh, where will they be able to find you if they want to get in touch with you? So I'm, I'm retired as a manager and a director, <laughs> but I'm not retired as a rewilder. Yeah. <laughs> so I will continue to to give my help to, to people, especially startups, people who, who try to test new ideas. I'm, I love to help them setting up things. If they have no money, I do it as a volunteer. If they are a commercial party, they get an invoice. Mm-hmm. But for the rest, I just, yeah, um, uh, people could also contribute to these new in- initiatives um, via Rewilding Europe, via um, Rewilding America now. They're, uh, yeah, if they do that, uh, the money will be, will uh, say, used. Perfect. Walter, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thank you, Jack.